God, we were so unworthy of your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And we thank you for your mercy. Your mercy, grace far exceeds our sinfulness. And so this morning, God, we have nothing that we can boast about. It's only Jesus and what you have done for us. God, we are in a difficult passage of Scripture this morning, and I pray that, uh, Father, you would open our eyes to truth, help us to stand for what's right, and be willing to suffer the consequences as a result. Because, Jesus, you did for us. So, thank you for this time of worship and time in your word. Speak to our hearts clearly this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. And uh, I am not Jeff Brandon this morning. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh, Jeff would be preaching in this morning's service, but uh, he had to uh, be out of town this weekend and was not able to uh, share. So he is uh, going to be with us on April the 14th, all right? So mark that down. Make sure you don't uh, miss that opportunity to hear him as he's going to finish up the book of uh, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy for us. And uh, next week, uh, Dr. Craig Mitchell is going to be preaching and uh, we'll finish up chapter 3 and begin chapter 4 um, for us. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, um, we are in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Hopefully you found that in your Bible. And uh, Jeff Randolph, or, yeah, Jeff Randolph did a great job uh, last week in uh, finishing up chapter 2. And uh, he talked about vessels of honor and dishonor within God's household of faith and uh, discussed that uh, as vessels of honor, if for God to use us, we need to purify ourselves and be ready for whatever good work God has for us. And um, my question to us this morning is, what is there that needs to be cleansed um, for us to be a vessel of honor. Uh, Paul tells Timothy at the end of chapter 2 that uh, to be a vessel of honor, we need to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with others who call upon the name of the Lord. Um, you know, those characteristics... Righteousness, faith, love, peace, those are important, but they are not meant to be done in isolation. Uh, They need to be done within community as well. And so there needs to be a group of people who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart, and we need to be associating ourselves with them to be that vessel of honor. In other words... Church, Christian, you need the church. Not just anybody in the church, but those who are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace themselves. And then Paul goes on to tell Timothy at the end of chapter 2 that uh, the Lord's servant can't be quarrelsome. They need to be kind and able to teach and patiently endure evil and gentle with those who aren't vessels of honor. Sometimes that's difficult to do uh, because of the way people behave who are not vessels of honor. But we must be this type of individual uh, in front of them. Why? in case they are willing to repent. Okay, and so there's some vessels of dishonor within the church 
that we need to be patient with, that we need to be loving with, that we can't be quarrelsome with, that we must take the high road with. Even though we want to take the low road, we need to take the the high road. Why? Because they just might repent. They may be individuals who are naive, who are uninformed. And so as believers who are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, we might be able to instruct them accordingly, that they might repent. But this morning, we are in a passage of Scripture where um, there are vessels of dishonor that uh, it's difficult to be that type of individual towards. Uh, the passage that we're in this, this morning, verses 1 through, through 9, are very bleak and ugly. And the characteristic or what Paul describes about these people, these are people within the church. And what are we as God's people um, to do with those who are vessels of dishonor? And so I want to read verses um, 1 through 13 this morning as uh, we begin our time in God's word. Paul says this to Timothy, But understand this, that in the last days there will come, come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Maybe you've read this passage before and you might be thinking that Paul's describing the outside. No, look what Paul says in verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These are people inside the church that are behaving this way. And Paul says this, avoid such people. And isn't that contradictory to what Paul just said in chapter 2? Not necessarily, because these are people who don't get it. He says, avoid such people, for among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janis and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was, was that of those two men. You, however... I followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Vessels 
of dishonor. People, Paul says, who are in the church, they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its its power. Chapter 3 starts off with, but understand this. Church, we need to know this. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. When Paul wrote these words to Timothy, they were already in the last times. The last times began at Pentecost when God poured out his spirit upon the apostles and and. And people were saved on that day. A multitude of people were saved. We are in those last days, Paul says, and they are going, they will come, there will become times of difficulty. Now, that word difficulty there, that's a mild translation. There's only one other uh, time that that word difficulty or the Greek word is used in the New Testament and it's used in uh, Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 uh, describing the two uh, demonic individuals at Gadara where uh, God where Jesus casted the demons into the pigs the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 two demon possessed men met Jesus coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. That's the word that describes difficulty in in verse 1. That word is fierce. And in the last days, the times are going to be fierce, Timothy. Happened with Timothy's life, and it is going to continue more so until that very last day when men are unaccountable for their deeds. And so this is what Paul's describing here in uh, chapter 3, and he's warning Timothy, and as vessels of honor, what are we to do with these vessels of dishonor two things in verses one through nine paul says that we need to avoid ungodly people those vessels of dishonor who are never going to get it who will never repent we need to avoid them uh In other words, we need to do church discipline on those types of individuals. Now, Paul mentions 19 ugly characteristics of those uh, types of individuals in verses 1 through 5. You know, our catechism this morning was to love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible never just said that we need to love ourselves. But the Bible does says does say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, it's natural we naturally gravitate to loving ourselves. That's easy to do. But as we love ourselves, God says we need to love our neighbor. For these individuals in this church setting, they're not loving their neighbor. You know, these characteristics are describing how they love themselves and how they treat others. And then they have a form of godliness, but they are not godly in the least. And Paul is saying uh, here in this passage of scripture, we need to avoid them. There was another, there's another list of these types of characteristics, and uh, there's more, in fact. There's 21 listed in Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Paul was very aware of these evil characteristics. 
And he had seen how uh, this evil had destroyed people's lives. At, at, at it, at how it had ravaged human life. And we see it as well. At how evil it is. And if we want to be vessels of honor, church, we need to be asking ourselves the question, am I such a person? Let me just read through the list again. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Any of those characteristics start to describe you? If you are a vessel of honor, if you want to be a vessel of honor, you'll want to purify yourself. You will want to be convicted of those characteristics, of those sin, and repent. But true vessels of dishonor don't see themselves in that list. And Paul says that you need to avoid such people. Does that mean that we never talk to them again? No, it doesn't, doesn't mean that. We need, to be, we need to do the work of an evangelist. You know, we need to be that salt and that light and encourage them. But we can't be their friend. We can't hang out with them and let them be our buddy. Paul says we need to avoid them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, bad company uh, corrupts good morals. You need to be careful, Christian, as to who you're hanging out with. You need to be influencing them in the faith rather than them influencing you. That doesn't mean that we come across as self-righteous and holier than thou and just boast about who we are and live this arrogant life. No one wants to hang out with that kind of individual. Oh, we need to be humble and peaceful and loving. But we can't condone their lifestyle. And then in verse 6, Paul talks about creepers. Look at verse 6. For among them, there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. Ladies, you need to be careful. Especially women who are struggling, maybe like single moms who are obviously concerned as to how they're going to care for their family, their kids, and and, uh, would long to be married and have a husband who would provide for them. And women, if you're in that kind of situation, you need to be very careful. And not be desperate for any creeper that might float down the river. Okay? Don't just fall for anybody. And I have seen it on several occasions as your pastor. There's creepers who will come into the church and they'll talk a great game. On the outside, they look very impressive. I remember this one couple, and it was just a 
a couple years ago, he came in. He talked about how he was a member of this church in Los Angeles. You know, he had the right lingo and everything. Uh, he could talk the, the Christian language, and, and people were impressed with him. This family was impressed with him. And this, 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 this gal that had met him online was, uh, in, was head over heels for him. And they wanted me to uh, marry them. But as I got into this premarital counseling and was learning more and more about this individual, I came to see that this, this guy was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I finally had to come to the point and say that I don't agree with this relationship and I can't, I can't marry you. And I even said, you know what? You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And she was listening to this and she was blind as a bat. I mean, she was head over heels infatuated with this guy regardless of the way that he was treating her children and she not protecting them. And I was... I was strong with both of them. And I said, but you're a wolf. And I was pretty ignorant in the situation because I shouldn't have been because uh, this guy was a lot bigger than me. And he could have done some serious damage. But here was this creeper that took advantage of a mom who was desperate, who was needy who needed somebody in her life, and he knew it. Paul says, For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Church, you can't afford to go there. Ladies, Be careful. You need to be strong in the Lord. The Bible says that God is your husband and you need to be dependent upon him. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5. Let him be your husband. Trust him for what he wants to bring into your life. I'm sorry, I've lost my notes here and so I got to find them again. We need to be aware of the creepers and don't allow men to take advantage of us. Don't fall for the lie. And then Paul talks about uh, Janis and Jambres in verse 8. These were two fakers. What? Now, you won't find these names in the Old Testament, but it's in reference to um, the plagues that uh, God brought upon the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. And in extra-biblical literature, uh, there were two individuals by the name of Janice and Jamres, and they were in Pharaoh's court. And in the first two plagues that, uh, that God brought upon the Egyptians when he turned the Nile River to blood and then when he when the frogs were produced the Bible says that the magicians were able to do the very same thing but beyond those first two plagues the magicians weren't able to duplicate what God through Moses was doing and and so Paul says this in verse 8 just as Janice and Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. He's talking about the creepers. They may look good on the outside, and they may be very convincing. But verse nine says, uh, 
but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Give them time. You know, who they really are will come to the surface. So I just want to ask you a question. Have you fallen for a creeper? Have you, have you been hurt by someone that you've trusted? And you know you need to avoid them. But you're watching other people in the church. And they're displaying the characteristics of chapter 2. You know, they're trying to be patient and loving. And they don't see what you see. And you're questioning uh, others' motives. I just want to encourage you, give it time. Because if it truly is, if they truly are what you see, These things are going to come to light. Their sin is going to find them out. And so Paul is warning Timothy um, to avoid ungodly people. And again, does it it conflict with chapter 2, verses 24 through 26? Nope, absolutely not. Because these are individuals who will, who don't get it, who will not repent. Now, as we live according to truth, as we stand up for what's right in calling sin, sin, and trusting God at his word, Paul says that it is going to cost you. And so let's look at verses 10 through 13 again. Verse 10 says, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at, at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. If you want to be a vessel of honor that God uses, you need to avoid ungodly people and you need to follow godly people. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, follow me. You've seen what, how I have conducted my life. You've seen my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at those three, those three places. Timothy, you follow in my ways. Church, if you want to live a godly life, be a vessel of honor, you need to follow godly people. You know, in this day and age, it seems as though popular culture rules the day and is in influencing the church through films, music, internet, television, Uh, literature, all these are more important than the word of God. And as a result, the, the life of the church is being influenced. It's being watered down. We need to follow godly people and not just those who look good on the outside. We need to be listening to their words carefully. We need to be watching their lifestyle. 
and discerning truth from error. Paul was a godly person. And because Paul was following in the, in the life of Christ, it cost Paul his very life. Paul was persecuted. Paul knew he was going to be persecuted. But Paul said that God was protecting him every step of the way. Verse, verse 11, which persecutions I endured, yet... From them all, the Lord rescued me. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really scary to stand for what's right. But church, we don't have to be afraid. Just as God rescued Paul. You might be saying, well, Pastor, God didn't rescue Paul. Paul Paul died for his faith. He He was beheaded. No, God rescued Paul. Even though in this life, his life ended. His earthly body was was sacrificed. Paul, the person we know and love from Scripture, the person of Paul was ushered in to the presence of Christ. Nero couldn't touch Paul. Nero couldn't touch his soul. God spared Paul. And you know what? God even spared Timothy. You might not know this, but uh, Timothy was a martyr as well. Uh, church history tells us that um, when Timothy was 80 years old, he stood up against the establishment that was wanting to do a, uh, a parade to, uh, to honor the goddess of uh, Ephesus. And he stood up before the people, and Timothy was stoned to death. God even protected Timothy. Church, we can't be afraid. Afraid of those who can kill the body. We need to be afraid of the one who can cast the soul into hell. God will protect you and God will protect me. This is what Paul is encouraging Timothy with in verse verse 11. But it's going to cost us to follow uh, godly people. It's going to cost us to um, to live the life of a Christian. Paul says in verse twelve, "You will be persecuted." Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This shouldn't be a shock. And it is, it's not a shock as we watch Christians around the world who are persecuted in the faith. Jesus said in John 15, 20, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. First John 3, 13, don't be surprised when the world hates you. And in Acts chapter 14, the Bible says many, we will endure, we will go through many persecutions before we enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul's telling Timothy in this passage of scripture here that as you stand up, as you avoid vessels of dishonor, as you remove them from the church, you know what? It's going to cost you, Timothy. You're going to be persecuted. Church discipline is costly. And a lot of churches, they don't want to do church discipline because when you discipline in some an individual like this, there's a lot of collateral damage that goes with it. You know, they're, they've got connections with other people in the church. And the reason why these kinds of people hang around in the church is because they're really likable. 
They're popular. And they have connections. And when you start calling sin, sin, when you start identifying that type of individual as a wolf, others connected with them become uh, very protective. And when a church follows through, it's not just that individual who leaves, but those who are connected with that individual leave as well. It's costly to do what God wants you to do. And pastors are persecuted. Churches are persecuted. Denominations are persecuted. Even Christian universities are being persecuted for standing for what is right. Maybe you've heard this week about one Christian university who has caved to the sexual um, uh, uh, revolutionaries of the day. That university is Azusa Pacific University. Uh, In their student handbook here uh, recently, they had excluded students, um, permitting students, same-sex attraction students from having romantic relationships on on campus. I mean, it was just, it was obviously ungodly. It wasn't something that a Christian university would be able to tolerate. And so uh, they were clear about that in their student handbook. Well, the LGBTQT whatever community stood up against that policy and said, you know, those students with same-sex attraction ought to be able to have uh, romantic relationships just like students with opposite-sex attraction. As long as it's not going towards a physical relationship they should ought to have romantic relationships on campus. And the trustees um, permitted uh, that to be reinstated in their student handbook because they were afraid of the consequences if they continued to stand up for what was right. To stand up for what is right, Christian, Paul says, you are going to be persecuted. There are going to be consequences. And if you don't stand up for what is right, guess what? There's going to be consequences as well. I like what Al Mohler said this week uh, following uh, that decision by the uh, trustees at Azusa Pacific Uh, University said this, institutions that remain true to biblical conviction will indeed face the consequences. But the institutions that compromise or forfeit those convictions will face other consequences, theological and spiritual consequences, consequences of far greater importance than anything that can be threatened by any government or any agency. We will all have to face the consequences of living by our convictions and policies. The question is, which set of consequences are we willing to face? There are going to be consequences either way. But as the the last days continue to draw closer and closer to the coming of Christ. It's going to be, get worse and worse, the Bible says. And we have just got to be prepared. 
and to know that when we stand for what is right, you know what? God is going to deliver us every single time. It may cost you your life, but guess what? If it does, you're immediately in the presence of Christ. Don't be shocked by this, Paul says. Do the right thing. Be vessels of honor. And to be a vessel of honor, we must seek righteousness, faith, love, and peace in the context of purity. To be a vessel of honor, we need to avoid ungodly people. People who never learn. Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You know who those people are, and they continue to be tolerated. In fact, some of them are asked to lead when they should be avoided at all costs. But the sad part is churches aren't willing to pay the price to make the right decision. And personally, if we're not willing to make that decision, as a church, if we're not willing to make that decision, as a denomination, if we're not willing to make that decision, guess what? You may think you're avoiding consequences, but there will be consequences and deadly consequences, but for not standing for what is right. Standing for godliness is going to cost so I just want to encourage you. And Paul is encouraging us this morning. Don't give up. Don't let the immorality of, or the horrors of last days dampen your relationship with Jesus. Stay close to the, to the Lord. Now, we had this very conversation last week in our, in our home group. And, you know, we can, we can easily conclude, you know, that this, just, this world is going to hell in a handbasket and it's just terrible and we can just be despondent and discouraged and defeated. No. Jesus is alive and well. And Jesus never promised us heaven on earth. As holy as the church can become, as God's people are doing the right thing, the Bible says that this world is going to get worse and worse as evil people are left unchecked. Jesus is on his throne. And if this if you're not prepared for this, then it's easy to live a life of great disappointment. God is true to his word, church. Whatever God has promised, he is going to fulfill. And we don't have to be discouraged, we don't have to be defeated. God is going to come through. I like what Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19 says. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the promise that God made Abraham. He said, 
Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. And whoever you bless, and whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. And Abraham was struggling. God, how are you going to make me a father of a great nation if I don't even have a descendant? I don't even even have a son. God tells Abraham, Abraham, prepare a sacrifice. And so Abraham prepares a sacrifice. He takes one half of the sacrifice on one side, the other half of the sacrifice on the other side. Now at this point, uh, God's promising Abraham. He's making a covenant with Abraham. And when people make a covenant with each other, both parties are to pass through that sacrifice, uh, covenanting themselves to each other that they promise to fulfill their half of the agreement, the contract, the covenant. And if one of them, one party breaks the contract, the covenant, you know, may the same thing happen to them that has taken place with this sacrifice. And so God told Abraham, prepare a sacrifice. Then you know what God did? God put Abraham to sleep. The Bible says that the, the, the spirit of God passed through the sacrifice. And in essence, what God was telling Abraham, Abraham, I promise you, so help me, me, that I'm going to fulfill every word that I have promised to you. And so in this verse, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the writer is saying that God hasn't just given us his word, But God has given us his very presence. God stooped and came and showed Abraham that he was going to fulfill this promise himself. And then in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Church, this is our anchor. God's word, God's promises, what God says will happen is our anchor. And God proved it by coming himself in the person of Jesus. Dying on our place on Calvary's cross. And then three days later, coming forth from the grave. There's nothing that God can't do. And we need to be people of faith and just hold on to what God has says. Timothy, if you do these things, yeah, people are not going to like you. But God is going to be there for you, just like he's been there for me, Timothy. Is he your anchor? He wants to be your anchor. We're going to sing a song, a new song, a new hymn. Come on up, worship team. This hymn, I hope you've been practicing it this week, okay? It's it's an easy tune, uh, tune, but this is what the first first part of the hymn says Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few I will hold fast to the anchor it will never be removed. Our anchor church is Jesus. And he has passed through 
the Holy of Holies. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's your mediator. And he's praying for you. That you will continue to be a person of faith. Be that holy vessel that he can use. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in this room who are fearful of doing or saying the right thing. Because they're afraid of the consequences. God, I pray that we would be dependent on you and that you, God, will take care of our every need. Yes, there will be consequences before, because for the stand that we take. But God, you have a plan and purpose in it all. Just as you watched over Paul, just as you watched over Timothy, just as you watched over your son, Jesus. God, you watch over us. Help us to do the right thing. And help us not to be a jerk about it. But in humility and love and grace and peace do and say what's right help us to hold on to the anchor because the anchor holds on to us we thank you and praise you for that would you stand with me please and let's worship Let's worship our Lord and Savior Jesus. Think about the words that we're singing this morning in this song. If you need prayer this morning, uh, we'll be in the dining hall for a moment. We'd love to pray with you if you need prayer. But let's worship our Lord and Savior Jesus.